0: Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So good evening everyone. We are still going through Perik Yud of Parishit in Parashat Noach, and this is the list of the seventy nations or the 70 descendants that came from Noah. We're leading up to the next major episode, which is going to be Migdal Babel, and in a sense, that's, this is now the lull before that storm. And as we saw last week, there are quite a few and quite a few allusions that Rashi picks up that imply we're leading up to that point. Anyway, we're up tonight to Pasuk Yud Dalud. So we're still going through the descendants of Cham, and we come to the following. In Pasuk Yud Dalud, Ve'et patrusim ve'et kasluchim ashe yatzu misham pelishtim the et kaftorim. So there were the pas, Patrusim and the Kasluchim, and the Palishtim went out from there. What's the problem? The problem is, what does it mean there? What does it mean that it went out from there? Now, if it means it's descended from the Kasluchim, it would say the Palishtim went out Mimeno, or Mimeno, rather. But it says Mishon. And Rashi says Mishnehem Yatsu. The Pelishtim, and according to a different Girsut in Rashi, it's also the Kafturim, but um, I don't know what everyone's text is. My text just says the Pelishtim. The Pelishtim came out from the two of them. So before we get into the next line, which is the gory details, what he's saying is, in terms of the Pshat, Asher Yatzum Sham Pelishtim. So the Pelishtim came out from there, and the there refers back to the Patrusim and the Kasluchim. So it means the Pelishtim came out from the place where both were domiciled. And that's the Mishom. Mishom, Rashi is telling us, means the place where the Kasluchim and the Patrusim were. Now, what does it mean that it came from both of them? Um, our understanding of the sort of genealogy of the world is nation comes from nation, or nation comes from individual patriarch. Whereas this, this nation, the Plishtim, came from both of them, came from the Kasluchim and the Patrusim. Says Rashi, going back to the words, Mishnehem Yatsu, they came from the two of them, Shahayu Patrusim v'kasluchim machlifim mishkav Noshotehem They swapped wives. That's literally what it says. Eilu v'eilu. To each other. V'yatsu mehem pelishtim. And the pelishtim came out of this rather messy family arrangement. So Rashi is saying, based on the Parishian uh, Rabba, that in order to understand the Pasuk, you have to understand that the Prishtim brackets and maybe the Kafturim came from very, very illicit origins. They were illegitimate, I suppose you might say. And it's interesting. Um, there's a few, uh, when you get to the aluf edom at the end of Parashat Vayishlach, uh, and Rashi go, explains the significance of all the listing of the genealogy of, of Edom that came from Esau and the people around him. It's a big question why we need that whole Perak, but apparently we do. It's there in the Torah, and Rashi points out in quite a few places in that Perak where people came from incestuous relations. Um, and I, I, Russia doesn't say explicitly, but I'm sure implicitly is the idea. But if they come from improper origins, it doesn't say much about the people that came out. And I think I would suggest, although Russia doesn't say this, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'm um, uh, politically incorrect, but I think Russia is telling us that the Polishtim don't come from a good place. They come from an immoral, illicit place. They, they come from an illegitimate place. And that perhaps relates to the fact that the Palishtim were the thorns in the side of a Jewish people Pretty much on an ongoing basis throughout the time of the Tanakh. So that's how he understands Asher, Yatsu, Misham, Pilishtim, Ve'et Kafturim. The Pilishtim came from the place of both the Patrusim and the Kasluchim, and they came because they shared um, wives. Okay, and then we go on to the next Pasuk, Tedvav. Now we know who Canaan was. First of all, we've met Canaan, the person. Because he was the one whom Noah cursed after Noah was abused by Ham, the father of Canaan, and we also know because we know where the Torah is going. The Torah is going towards Abraham, who is going to be promised the land of Canaan. So Canaan is very significant, and we are now going to know about Canaan's family, Canaan's children. So Ukanan Yalad et Sidon veet Chait. So he Canaan bore Sidon, his firstborn, and Chet veet Hayavusi. The Etha Emori, the Etha Girgoshi, the Etha ve'et the Etha Arki, the Etha and we're still we're now already in Posset Yudhred, the Etha Aravidi, the Etha Samari, the Etha Hamati, the Akhar, Nafatsu, mishpachat Hakanani. So we uh, listed a lot of descendants of Canaan some of whom are what we call the seven nations, Canaan and various others, and it turns out the various others, most of them, were the children of Canaan himself. So as we find in quite a few places in this list, a father has children, and both the father and the children constitute separate nations in this family of seventy nations that come from Noah. It doesn't mean that, all the, that the father is like absorbed into his various children, but rather the father can still be separate from the, uh, some of the, from the children. Uh, and the father constitutes a nation in his own. So we have the nation of Canaan, and we have the various children, some of which are the seven nations, or the six nations to go with Canaan, in Eretz Israel, and others are other nations which we don't know very much about, uh, presumably who lived elsewhere, perhaps in, in a similar region, but not part of Eretz Israel. And then at the very end of Yudchet, after listing all these long lists, it said, nafotsu mishpachot ha-kanani. And afterwards, spread out the families of the Canaanites. And Rashi says, From there spread out many families. And um, I have not found a satisfactory explanation, really, of what Rashi is doing with this comment. But it, it, it suggested that Rashi needs to say this so you understand that it comes, that the people listed are the families of Canaan and not just the actual children of Canaan. It doesn't mean that the children of Canaan spread out, but Rashi of the Torah Davka says, Mishpachot to which Rashi says what that means is Mishpachot har-be. The fact that the Torah says mishpachotaka Nani rather than the individual people implies to Rashi that what's spreading out is lots of different families. By the way, akhar, Rashi doesn't say this, but what's Achar? What does akhar mean? After. After what? After what? After what did people spread out? You, no, no, no. Oh, sorry, I thought you... Same first letter. After what did they spread out? Migdal Bavel, which is what I said we're coming up to. And here's a, a hint that there's going to be a time when there's going to be more spreading out. Okay, sorry if that's not totally satisfactory on Yud Kher, but let's go on to Yud Tet. Hakanani, And it was the border of the Kanani. Rashi's going to translate exactly what Gavul means. M'tzidon ba gerara. From Tzidon, um, now I'll, I'll leave Ba'ocha untranslated. Uh, Garara, which is somewhere in the north, Ad-Aza, to Aza, Gaza, Ba'ocha Sodoma, um, going to, I'll leave it as going to Sodom, Ba-Amarah, Ba-Adma, Ad-Lasha. Sodom, Amara, Adma, u are going to be mentioned later on when Avraham deals with the four kings and the five kings. They're all in the same area, roughly around Sodom and Amara, roughly around the Dead Sea, uh, to Lasha. So we have there the borders of the land of the Kanani. Why do we need to know the borders of that land and not anywhere else? Rashi doesn't say this, this is just my thought, presumably because this land and its borders is going to be very, very significant because in two chapters' time, it's going to be promised to Avraham. So now we know what the borders are. That's not Rashi. But let's see what Rashi says. First of all, on the word gvul. gavul ha Kanani, Sof ar the end of his land... Kol Mikra. Every time the word gvul appears in the Mikra, Loshon Sof the It's an expression of end and edge. Now, what does that mean? So we know what a border is. We know the border means the edge. But if we didn't know the, what that meant, what how else would it be interpreted? Adma you might have thought that all those places are contained within the area of the Qanani. And the, the, what Rashi is telling you is not necessarily. Now, some are, but some might not be. Um, if you tell you the border goes, for instance, ad azza the border goes to ad Azar. does that mean azza is included? Is azza part of the territory? Or is, does Azha determine where the border is? And Rashi's answer is the latter. Sof arzo, so the end of his land. And then he goes further, the Gavul means Sof Vaketsa, the end and the edge. So the end is up to Azza. So it's actually not 100% clear if Azza is included or not, because Azza constitutes the edge. Whereas if Rashi hadn't said that, you might have thought that Azza is fully included in the dominion. Now, Rashi is going to spend quite a little, well, a few, three lines, two lines, tell me how you count them, on the words B'ocha. Now, Ba'okha appears twice. Uh, and it appears elsewhere when it's describing borders. So Rashi says, Ba'okha, shem davar. Shem davar, the name of a thing. Now, there's something rather unfortunate. Rashi's making a grammatical point. But it's a little bit problematic when he says shem davar, because shem davar can mean three things. It can mean a noun, the name of a thing. Sometimes Rashi uses it when he means it's an adjective. And sometimes Rashi uses it when it means it's a verb in the form of a participle. And that's what he means here. It means going, going to, going towards, in the direction of. Bo'acha is basically the infinitive of bo'. It means going. So you read the positive gaz, the border is from Sidon going to Gerara. It's in the direction of Gerara. And that's how one can understand Ba'oha when it appears in the context of uh, borders, as it does from time to time, it means going in the direction of. Um, so, um, and that's Rashi's uh, encapsulated by saying And what he means, according to the Mephor is the kaf and the hay of bo'acha are redundant? They're just an addition, a hosafa, as I think the Mizrahi calls them. They're just an addition, and in particular, the kaf, the, the kaf, is nothing to do with your. It doesn't mean your going. It just means going. So going as a participle, not actually an infinitive, but effectively in the same thing. Going as a participle, it doesn't mean you going. It doesn't mean gone or will go, um, or it's even not literally in the present tafka, it means going towards. Then Rashi says, Velinira, and it seems to me, like a person says to their fellow, Gvulzer Magia Ad Asher Tavo ploni. The board, this border reaches until you come to a certain place. The Torah speaks in the language of man. And sometimes the Torah puts in idioms which would be the sort of thing that a person would say one to another. So, and the Torah here, according to this explanation, which even though he doesn't say the he says near relief, sounds like it's a second explanation, an alternative to the first. According to this second explanation... The Torah is telling you, uh, in the third person, this is where the border is. But it's using the expression that people might colloquially use when they're talking one to another. And they would say, the border was from Sidon, like when you go to Gerara. Like when you go to Gerara. And what's the key difference between Rashi's first explanation and Rashi's second explanation? And I've tried to highlight it. According to the first explanation, as I said, the chaf and the hay were redundant. And what does chaf mean? Boachah means you're going, okay, with you, second person. According to Rashi's first explanation, it doesn't mean that. It just means going, with no you, no pronoun, no person involved. According to Rashi's second explanation, it's like a person says to another person, it's as you go to Garara. So according to the second explanation, Boachah means you go, In which case, the chaf is part of the translation. It means you. The hay is still redundant. The hay is still just there for no particular grammatical purpose. (coughs) But the chaf is there, meaning when you go, as a person will say to their fellow. See, the problem with you is who's you? The Torah is not speaking to me personally. Well, it it is, okay, but the Torah is not written as if it's speaking to me personally. Hashem, who's writing the Torah here, can't be saying the border is as you go to Gerara, because who's you? The Torah is speaking in the third person. This is the border, this is where it goes. However, according to Rashi's second explanation, there is a you, there is a person, as it were, because it's as if one person is saying to another, the border is when you go to such and such. So it's, it's the you is what a person might say to another person and the Torah is speaking in such a language because sometimes the Torah does. It speaks in a language that, 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 that we can relate to or that we would say. That's what Dibra Torah, Balashem B'nei Adam, means. Okay, any questions? No, it's all very quiet tonight. Okay. Pasuk Kaf. Eila B'nei Cham Lemishpachotam B'goyehem. These are the children of Ham according to their families, to their languages, in their lands, by their nations. And again, by the way, there's a uh, presaging, I think it's the word, of what's going to come very soon when their languages are going to be split up and they're going to be splitting up into independent nations. But we're not quite there yet, although it's very soon. But the main thing, so Rashi says, (inaudible) On lil shonotam bar even though they were divided by their languages and their lands, which they weren't yet, but they were going to be, kulam They are all the children of Ham. So the first thing to say, as always, by the way, is how is Rashi reading the Pasuk, and then why is Rashi think the Pasuk to be read like that? So how is Rashi reading the Pasuk? Um, these are the children of Ham. And then Rashi adds in, even though they are separate families and languages and lands and nations, they're all the children of Ham. The point of the passage is not to say that they are look, they are they, separate nations and these are all the different languages, because they're not necessarily separate languages yet, but more to the point, even after the dispersal at the time of Migdar Babel, the numbers of nations that the descendants of Ham don't match up exactly to these children. These are like the, the archetypes that might be of many nations, but the point of the pasuk says Rashi is to tell you Ela and he adds al p So the means they're divided, they are grouped in different ways. But al p, even though Elu Ham says Rashi. B'nei cham heim. They are all the children of cham. Now, why does Rashi need to say this? And I will point out that uh, if you look at Lamad Aleph, we have a similar verse where when we finish going through the descendants of Shem, we say, Eila b'nei Shem, Tam ilushanotam, And if you look in the end of the descendants of Yafet, um, um, which would be in Pasuk Hey, you have something similar. And that's it. What's missing? Rashi? Well, okay, but what, what's missing in the Pasuk that is there in, thank you, in Kaf and in, what did I say? Um, in Lamed, Kaf says, Eilu b'nei cham, which Rashi says means, Kulom b'nei cham and uh, in Lamed it says, sorry, Lamed Aleph, it says something similar about Bnei Shem, which Rashi doesn't actually explain. Maybe he doesn't need to because he's explained in Kaf. And it's not there in Yafet. So that leads to two questions, which perhaps we can answer together. Number one, why isn't it there in Yafet? And number two, why does Rashi think the Torah needs to say it by Cham? And the Meforshim of Rashi basically collectively say, I'm not sure. This is a pella, this is a wonder, which is not really resolved. But I did see a very interesting analysis in the Berba Sadeh, which is one of the big Mofoshib on Rashi. And he says like this, if you count, you will find that Ham has four children, and yet they're divided into, I'm sure you've all been counting, 31 families. And Shem had uh, five children, and they're divided into 26 families. Yafet had, I'm sure you've all been counting, seven children, and they're divided into 14 families. So what do you deduce about Yafet? What? Well, there are less of them. And the multiplying factor is much less. He has seven children, and they each divide into an average two ...further families. But by hum, four goes to 31. That's like a big increase. By Yefet, um, five goes to 20... What did I say? 26? That's not quite as big as Hum, but it's also quite a lot. It's 5.2 times. Um, by Hum it's 7.75 times. And therefore, what might you have thought? What might you have thought? You might have thought that amongst these 31 families they're not all the descendants of the original four b'nei cham. Because it's like a lot. And therefore the Torah needs to say, don't think that, elu b'nei cham. By Shem, multiply a factor of 5.2, you might think they're not all the descendants of Shem. So the Torah has to say, elu b'nei Shem. But by Yafet, multiply a factor of 2, you wouldn't have that doubt, and therefore the Torah doesn't need to tell you that. So that's an answer. It's not the most amazing answer, but it's quite clever because it's numerical. But it, it, it answers the two questions. Number one, why doesn't the Torah tell us anything about B'nai Yafet? And number two, what does it mean, B'nai cham? So Rashi's told us it means even though they're divided into lots of families, Kulam, B'nai, cham They're all B'nai cham. Why does Rashi need to say what the Torah says that? Because you might have thought otherwise because there are so many families coming from cham, You might have thought that like he adopted a few from other sources. And then the Torah says, no, Eilut b'nei cham. Okay, let's move on to Kaf Aleph. Shem yulad gam hu. And Shem also bore or begat, children. Avi kol b'nei He's the father of all the children of Ever. Achie yefet Hagadol, And he's the brother of yefet, the big one. Okay. So Shem is the father of all the B'nai Aver. Who was Aver? Oh, very good. You're ahead of us. Um, I thought you were going to say something else. If you talk about Shem and I say who was Aver? You uh, the, Shem with the That's right, the Bemidrash of yeah, Shem I'm and Aver. Who was Aver? Uh, Ava was Shem's great grandson. A, Shem had a son called Ah Pachshad, and Ah Pachshad had a son called Shelach, and Shelach had a son called Eiver. And Shem and Eiver ran the yeshiva together. We can talk about, well, not now, we can talk about what was taught in that yeshiva, what was the nature of that yeshiva, what was the gashmias like, what was the food like, how much did it charge, all that sort of thing. But I find it rather interesting that Shem and Eiver were partners, you know, like Rav Amitan and Rav Lichtenstein, except one was the great-grandfather and one was the great-grandson. That was the partnership. Anyway, so this... <laughs> Phrase is often translated as "Shem was the father of all the descendants of Aver, Eber being his great grandson." Rashi doesn't say that. Rashi says, "Avi kol b'nei Eber hanahar haya Shem, the father of all the b'nei Eber, those who lived across the river, was Shem." Now, which river? In Jordan. Good guess. No.
1: Euphrates.
0: Yes, the Euphrates. That's the river. The Jordan is not the river. Anyone seen the Jordan? As you probably all have, or know why it's not the river? It's a trickle. On a dry day, it's not even that. The river is always the Euphrates. And who crossed the river as start of his great journey? Abraham. And why is he called an Ivry? Because he crossed And crossed. and more figuratively but it's a, it's a metaphorical understanding of the same physical thing he stood on the other side of the river from the rest of the world and he said I'm prepared to live my own life I'm prepared to follow my own beliefs and I will differ from everybody else he's the one who crosses the river Eva says Rashi means across the river so the B'nai Shem started out where Abraham was in Mesopotamia modern day Iraq um, now why does Rashi say that that's what Ava means? We meet this... The, the word Aver appears here in Pasukav Aleph, and in Pasukav Dalad, there's a person called Aver. Why wouldn't we assume that it's the same thing? So the answer is, it doesn't actually make sense to say he's the father of all the children of his great-grandson. I mean, obviously he's the father of all the children of his great-grandson. That's the first point. The second point is, if you are going to say he's the ancestor of all the children of somebody... Why Ava? I mean, we know Shem and Ava got together, but there were probably more um, critical people in the genealogy that take us from Shem to Abraham, as we will see in a, a, a little while, not tonight. Uh, and Ava was there as the third generation from Shem but there were other people you could say maybe Peleg whom we're going to learn about soon tonight is more crucial so there's no particular reason why I should say Shem is the great grandfather is the ancestor of all the Bnei Ava but it makes much more sense to say it's a geographical location Shem is the ancestor is the ancestor sorry of all those who live across the river Um, next thing is Rashi says uh, on the same words Avi called Bnei Ava Hanahar we just explained Hayya shame it was shame now you look at the passage carefully and think why rashi has to say that ulashame yulad gamhu avi benei aver who else could you think is being referred to as avi kolbenae aver ulashame yulad gamhu shame also had children avi benei aver the father of all the benei aver by the way the who? is not related to avi. You can tell that by the trot. There's an esnachta under the who, so there's a pause. And then you say avi kobene eva. And the words avi kobene eva don't actually have anything introducing them. They're just there. So the actual passage reads, shame also begat, i.e. children, comma, the father of all the b'nei eva. So the answer is, you might have thought that shame had a child who is the father of all the b'nei eva. That's whom you might have thought Avi Kobane Eva is. It says, yulad gamhu. Shame had children, or, or even eight, you could, it doesn't say children, a child, but Shame had offspring. The father of all the Bene Eva. So you can read Avi Kobane Eva as referring to the child of Shame. And in order to refute that, Rashi says, on, after the word Hanahar, Hayah Shame, the father of all the Bene Eva, which Rashi means Eva Hanahar, was Shame. Not shame's son. That's not what the pasuk means. So the avi is the same as shame. Not avi is the same as the child of shame. Now, achi yefet hagadol, the brother of Yefet, the big one. Now Rashi's got two things to say. The first is, is quite long, a bit of maths and a bit of uh, comparing other sources, and then we'll get on to the next one. Achi yefet hagadol says Rashi im Yefet Hagadol im Shem. I do not know if Yefet was the oldest or Shem was the oldest. Kashahu Amer when it says, and that later on in Perak Yudal of Pasuk Yud, Shem ben Shana Shem was a hundred years old two years after the Mabul. So very quick little bit of arithmetic. How old was he at the time of the Mabul? 98. Thank you. <laughs> 98. Now, that was, that was quite straightforward. It wasn't a trick question. Um, it's going to be relevant. Have uh, they So we can say, Yefet Hagadol. Yefet was the oldest. How do I know Yefet was the oldest? Or older than Shem? Because we know that Noah was 500 years old when he began to have children. And that was said explicitly in Peruk Ha'e Chet, Pasuk Bet. And the Mabul was in the 600th year of Noah. Nimtza Shahagadol Babanav. So it turns out that his oldest child must have been 100 at the time of the Mabul. Noah started having children, we're told, when he was 500. Doesn't mean he finished having children, doesn't mean he already had children. He started having children when he was 500. And the flood came 100 years later. So his oldest child must be 100. By the way, he can't be over 100, he must be in his 100th year. Do you remember Why? Because in Shemayim, you're not judged as liable for your sins until you are 100. Rashi explained that's why. Rashi explained in Peret Chet why Noah waited 500 years before having children, which was much later than anyone else in his generation. So that by the time the flood came, his children would be saved in the Teva and would not be liable for any sins that he committed because they'd be less than 100. So when we say that his oldest child was 100, we must mean in his 100th year in order to reconcile the two Rashis. So... That means he must have had a son who was 100, or very close to 100, by the time of the Mabul. But how old was Shem at the time of the Mabul? 98. 98. Therefore, what does that tell you about Shem? He wasn't the oldest. So somebody else was the oldest. sheh Ba Nav hayu ben meashanah. So it turns out that the oldest of Noah's children must have been 100. And shame did not reach the age of a hundred until two years after the mabul. So shame is not the oldest child. So Yefet is older than shame, and that explains what Yefet um, Hagadol means. Really, what Rashi is doing, as he always is doing, is explaining the words. And that long little bit of maths and birth dates and so on was explaining the word Hagadol. What to, What else could Hagadol mean? Yefet Haggadol. What could that mean? Is greater. Yefet the Great One. Something like that. But it doesn't. It means Yefet the Older One. And we've just proved that Yefet is older. But we already knew that though. Is How that do we just, know that? Didn't we work it out from the math before that says that? Like we already knew that he was 90 age. Because as he said... <laughs> um, mm-hmm. um, in Pasuk Aleph, Or later on at least. And um, it says that he was 98, which means that we know that it wasn't... But we haven't been told explicitly...
1: I mean, we, we haven't done the maths
0: well, from 500 to 600. I might, you might say it's obvious. But until this Rashi, we haven't done the maths that says, if Noah started bearing children when he was 500, because and it, the flood it, came when was 600... Really bad, everything is in the... Yeah, yeah but um, Rashi ties it together. And he ties it together in but, order to explain no, 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 what Kadol why, why is the puzzle there, that I'm saying? Why, why is the puzzle... Yes. Well, why does it have to say that Yafet was the oldest? Oh, I see. We already know that. Okay, given that we can do the maths, we can do the maths, why do we have to be told that? Ah, I see. And I don't have an answer to that. Uh, That's a good question. But Rashi's not... Remember, why is Rashi giving this explanation? To tell us what Gadol means. Mm. So you can say, well, why does it have to say it at all? That's not what Rashi's answering. I I, I don't think he's answered that. Okay, by the way, just a moment. There were three sons, of course. was Khan... Older? Was he between Yefet and um, Shem? Was he older than Yefet? Was he younger than Yefet? Was he younger than Shem? It's not clear. There is no proof. And there's a machlokia amongst the Mephoshay Rashi, what Rashi thinks. And I think Rashi doesn't think anything, actually. Rashi doesn't talk about Ham. He's only talking about the relative ages of Shem and Yefet. And it's not clear if Ham was older or younger or in the middle. Yes. Before the before the Torah was given, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> like no, I think no, I think, or, or is it just in Shemaim? A, a bet din Shamata can make you liable from the age of twenty. Yeah. Not bar and bat mitzvah, by the way. That's when you're chayv a mitzvah, but you're not liable for punishments until the age of twenty. Right. But in Shemaim, it's uh, it's a hundred. It's quite a good deal. Okay. What if you live then you're liable. Please God, we should all live to be esrim. Okay. Then you get hundred and twenty. <laughs> Okay, the next Rashi says, "Achi Yefet," doesn't say Hagadol because that's not what this Rashi is talking about. The brother of Yefet. What's the obvious question? Well, yes. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Well, we're going to answer that actually. Another There's another brother. Ham's been written out. Okay. The, so says Rashi, "Achi Yefet, velo Achi Ham," and not the brother of Ham. Or, I don't think he means he's not the brother of Ham. Well, actually, maybe he does. Let's read on. <speaking in Hebrew> These ones honored their father, and this one disgraced him. This one disgraced his father. Who's this one? Okay. What is this Rashi doing? So, the simple answer is Rashi's explaining why it says he's the brother of Yefah and excludes him from the brother of Ham. But I would suggest... This Russian is actually doing something much more profound. Let me um, turn to Lamud Zion Pasuk Yud Zion. Lamud Zion Yud Zion. Uh, actually go back to um Tetvov. This is the story of Yosef. His father, Yaakov, has sent Yosef out to uh, see his brothers and bring back a report on how they're doing, which is odd because Yaakov knows that there's no love lost between Yosef and his brothers. Anyway, we have this remarkable thing, which deserves a whole discussion on its own, but it's not our purpose tonight, where it says, A person found Yosef, and Yosef was wandering in the field. And he asked him, The man asked him, what do you seek? And Yosef said, I'm seeking my brothers. Beautiful line. and You can use that as a starting point for many sermons. Tell me, please, where they are shepherding. And the man said, They have journeyed from this. I heard them say, Let's, We're going to dotan. Anyway, says Rashi, Nasu Mizeh in Yud Zayim. Atman Minha Achva. They have removed themselves from Achva. What's Achva? Brotherhood. Now, what does brotherhood mean? So, two people are Achim. That sounds like they are two males who have the same parents. But Achva is something else. We say under the Chuppah, Gilor, or Eid Achva. The Ava, the shalom, the but the couple should have achva, which cannot mean they should be brothers in the literal sense, because that would be very odd <laughs> on many levels. So, what does achva mean? Companionship, maybe. Companionship, or camaraderie. Oh, camaraderie. Okay, actually, brotherhood is quite a good line because we use that word in English. I mean, the brotherhood of man. Um, Yes, okay. Um, brotherhood doesn't mean having the same parents. It means caring for each other. It means loving each other. It means having a connection to each other. It means sharing the same values, etc., etc. If you look at Lamed Bet Pasek Zion, Yaakov is waiting to be reunited with Esau. And he sends messengers to see what's going on with Esav. The messengers came back. El lemar El we came to your brother. We came to Esav. Says Rashi, Shahayita omer achihu. You, the messengers, say to Yaakov, you sent us to meet this guy, and you told us he was my brother. But he is behaving to you like of the Russia, Odeno Basinato. He still hates you. What's the but? Rashi says Aval. Why Aval? You said the messengers say to Yaakov, this is Russia, you said he's my brother. We don't think he's your brother. Why not? Because he's a Russia, and and more than that, Odeno Basinato. He's hating you. Now, Yaakov could say, he is my brother. We come from the same parents. The messengers, are buying that. The messengers are saying, he doesn't express the quality of brotherhood. I'll show you one more example. Um, um, yeah. Uh, Membet, gimel. Still in the story of Yosef. If you want to find out quotes about brothers, you look in the story of Yosef. They came down, the brothers of Yosef, ten of them, to buy corn in Mitzrayim. It says Rashi. It doesn't say they were the Bnei Yaakov, which it should have said, because the whole focus has been on Yaakov's family. Now, we know the background of the story that Yosef is their brother and Yosef is in charge of the corn in Egypt, but they're coming as a group. They're not coming as Achei Yosef. They're coming as Bnei Yaakov. So Rashi says, Why does it say they came as Ache Yosef? It tells you that they regretted the selling of him, i.e., of Yosef. And not Nulebam, Lehitna Hag Imo. Be, what's the next word? They resolve to behave with him with Achva. So, over and over again, there's a couple more examples I could also show you. Rashi tells you that there's more than just a biological connection. Achva means something more than that. In fact, as we saw from the Yosef quote, it transcends a biological connection. The Yosef, sorry, not the Yosef quote, the, the Shaluche Yaakov, the beginning of Ayishlach sorry, when the messengers came back, and Rashi adds the word aval, you said he was my brother, but he's not, he's Eiseb Harasha, who hates you. He's not your brother. So Rashi is telling us the word ach means people who love each other. That's the point. And that's why Rashi here says, you know what? The Torah is telling you, Yefet, sorry, Shem was the brother of Yefet, and he was not the brother of Ham. So the first words of that Rashi, you could read them as a question mark, as a bitmiah, as we say in, in, in Gomorish. <speaking in Hebrew> was he not the brother of Ham? I don't think that's how you read it. I think he read it as achi <speaking in> Ham. <Hebrew> he was not the brother of Ham. Because to be a brother as we've seen from a number of examples, you have to at least share the same values. And Shem and Yefet say, shared the value of honouring your father, whereas Cham was diametrically opposed. Not just like, you know, some preferred diet coke and some preferred fatty coke. It wasn't that. It was something absolutely fundamental. And their values were antithetical. And that's why Yefet, sorry, Shem was not the brother of Cham. Okay. Let's go on. Next Rashi is in Pasuk Kaf Hay. I said we wouldn't do every, all these intermediate pasukim, but since Rashi covers most of them, let's go through them all. B'nai Shem, Pasuk Kaf Bet. B'nai Shem Elim, v'Ashur, v'Apachshad, v'Lud, Aram. We met Ashur last week in the wrong place, remember? Ashur is one of the B'nai Shem, but he cropped up in the story of Nimrod. U'b'nai Aram. Aram is... Sort of Mesopotamia, Ramna Harayim, it's a whole Syria fertile crescent area. Utz the khul, the getter, the mash, that's the second son of Shem. Yalad et shalach, the shalach, yalad et aver. Ula aver yulad shenevanim. And Aver had two children. Shem ha'achad peleg, the name of one of them was peleg, ki the niflagah ha'aretz, because in his days. The earth was divided. The shame Achiv, Yaktan. And the name of his brother was Yaktan. Okay. Very strange comment um, that I don't think we've had in any of the other listings of these long list of people with funny names. On this Pasuk with Peleg, we're told why he was called Peleg. Because the, the, uh, the earth was divided in his days. When was the earth divided? After Babel. After Babel. As I did say at the beginning, the, the, this, this, peric, this, this this Peric is replete with hints about what's coming next. And this is explicit. That Peleg is born, and sometime in Peleg's life, the world's going to be divided. What does that tell you about Aver, the father of Peleg and Yoktan? Seemingly prophetic. Very true. Yes, that's exactly what Rashi says. Okay. Rashi says, Niflagah, Nitbalbalu haloshanot, the languages were mixed up, nafutsu <laughs> men habika, and they scattered, they were scattered from the valley, nitpalgu b'chol ha'olam, and they were divided into the whole world. What's the valley? Well, I'll just tell you, if you look at... Uh, Yud Aleph Bet talks about the generation of Migdal Bavo and it says in Bet they journeyed from the east and they found a valley in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there and the Biqa in the land of Shinar was where they built the tower by the way I'll just say this this isn't Rashi this is Rahersh if you want to build a tower do you start on a mountain or do you start in a valley? you start on a mountain why? more efficient why is it more efficient because yeah, you you've already got the heights you if you're trying to get to the heavens you might as well start a thousand feet up and you've got the mountains that does the you know the first base for you um but they didn't they started in the valley which is a pretty bad place to build a tower okay when we get to it i'll it's ship to down to the bottom. sorry it's hard to get to the bottom of the tower if it's going to be some sort of like, structures like where people go inside the tower. well and if put it in a valley it's hard yeah. to get down well, that's, that's, a, I'm sorry, that's a practical problem, but I think the, the obvious problem is if you're trying to get height, you might as well build it on the top of a mountain where you've got the, the ready-made height to start with. Anyway, when we get there, um, I'll share with you Rav Hirsch, even though it's not Rashi, but it's so good. Um, okay, so that's the Bika, and that's what Rashi means. Now, Rashi understands Niflaga in two <clears throat> senses, and he says they both happened, and they're both alluded to in the name Peleg. What's the two divisions? First of all, the languages are... Um, confused, and they the nafutsu min habika, and therefore the people are scattered from the central place where they were the nitpargu bchalola, and they're dispersed, divided rather throughout the whole world. Peleg means to divide essentially, an Israeli political party is a miflaga because it's divided from everything else. Um, thank you. So, that's the first thing. Rashi's explaining what the niflagah ha'aretz means. and really means two things. The people spread out, and the earth itself, was they, they were dispersed throughout the whole world. Um, I mean, really, it's one dispersal, but it's got two components. The language, and then the people are divided. The languages are mixed up, and the people are divided. And that's how Rashi explains the word niflagah. But now, Rashi says, "Lamadnu <laughs> shahaya ever navi. This teaches us that Eva was a Navi. Now, by the way, Rashi doesn't say this, but I think there's a connection to the fact that Eva's a pretty good guy. How do we know that Ava's a good guy? From the Midrash that says, he that ran the yeshiva with his great grandfather Shem. And the Torah doesn't talk about this yeshiva, but Rashi does in a few places. Yaakov spent 14 years there, according to Rashi, etc. So I think it's suggesting that Ava was special. He was a prophet because he had prophetic powers and most people didn't and he did even though i mean there's been allusions to rashi rashi said that people like knew the flood was coming the wives of Lemech, if you remember all the way back to that they wanted to stop having children because they thought there was no point because there was a flood coming so there were things that people knew about in the future but here ava seems to have a unique prophecy and he not only knows about it but he acts upon it he gives to his children names or a child names in relation to it so back to where we were. Lamadnu Shahaya, Ava Navi. Bano al Ha'atid. He named his child about the name of the future, about a thing that's going to happen in the future. So the first thing is, Rashi says, it tells you that Pele sorry, that Ava was a Navi. And I think he's answering the simple question is how did Ava know what to call his child on the basis of what's going to happen in the future? It wasn't something that was happening then. It says, Ki biyamav nifla haaretz. It can't be sorry, you might think that Ava looks around, he reads the news, and he says, Oh, they're building a tower right now, and Pomp, his wife gives birth, and he says, You know what? I'm gonna name my child in honor of what's happening now. That's not the case. Because it says, Ki biyamav in his days, that's in Peleg's days, the earth was divided. So not when Peleg was born, just a moment, not when Peleg gets his name. But in the future, the world's going to be divided. So clearly, Eva was preempting what's going to happen in the future when he names his son. How could he do that? Says Rashi. He was a prophet. Yes? Um, so doesn't it quite explain, like, what's Peleg's... Uh, sorry. Eva, Eva's motive in naming his son after something that will happen? Like, um, is he just trying to point out that he knows that he's, that he's a prophet? Like, what's the point of it? Let me... Uh, come back to that in a moment. Lineda, I will give an answer to that. That's a good question. So why does he choose to do that? After all, other things are going to happen in his child's life. Why does he name him Peleg? Uh, what's the Torah telling us by the fact that he's able to do that? Let's go on. Rashi brings a little bit of sort of further explanation. Um, I don't think what Rashi's going to do now is strictly essential for understanding the past. Or, or, or actually, maybe it is. Sorry, maybe it is. We have learned in an old Midrash called Seder Olam, which is the source of basically right when almost everywhere where Rashi brings chronology, he's referring to the book of Seder Olam, which tells you people's ages at different times when different events happened. That's the source for Rivka being three. We'll get to that in many years' time. And we'll talk about the authenticity of Seder Olam when we get there. And it says in Seder Olam, Shabasof yamav nit That at the end of Peleg's days, the world was divided. So that's the point, that it's not at the beginning of Peleg's days, and it's not in the middle of Peleg's days, it's at the end of Peleg's days. Now, if you were to say it's at the beginning of Peleg's days, his brother is younger than Peleg, the Mishpachot And he bore many families before that, before the tower. Because as we were about to read in Kafav and Kavzaiyan and Kafchet and Kavtet, Yachtan had lots of children, Kanainahara. And so all those children were born. All these people are born before we get to Perak Yodalaf. So Yachtan is Peleg's younger brother and has lots of children before Migdal Babel. So it cannot be that Peleg uh, is given his name at the moment of his birth because at that time was Migdar Bavel, because then there will be no time for his younger son to have lots of children. So it cannot mean that the world was divided when Peleg was born. Um, oh, sorry, Ma. How do I know that Yaktan had lots of children? Because it says in the very next pasuk, for Yaktan Yolad, Yaktan had children. For Achakach. And after it, we get to Perik Yud Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, which sets the scene for Migdal Bava. The Imtomar, so it can't be at the beginning of Peleg's life for the reason we've just explained. Maybe you say it's in the middle of his life. Says Rashi, a general principle. The Pasuk doesn't come to uh, close up, in other words, to hide information but rather to give you information. So it cannot be that the uh, Migdal Babel happened in the middle of Peleg's days, because then we wouldn't know anything about the timing of Migdal Babel. This passage is telling us that Migdal Babel happened in Peleg's days. And it must be telling us something that we can learn, that we can work out. And it cannot mean just some time when Peleg was alive, because that doesn't tell us anything. That's the general principle. The Pasuk must be coming to explain something to us that we can work out. That tells you that the year in which Peleg died, that was when the world was divided. Now, by the way, I'll answer your question. I think possibly the answer to your question is, what is it, why did Ava choose to to the son Pedang, and what's it telling us? Ava is, as I keep saying, a good, good, good guy. He's on the side of the, uh, of the angels. And the people building the tower was a bad thing. Uh, sorry, the people building the tower were, doing, were bad people. And the tower, as we will see next week, was for the sake of a bad purpose. And Ava is warning against it. And I think he's naming his son after the tragedy which is going to engulf the world. And I would go further. This is me. It's not anybody else. I think he's warning people about the tragedy that's going to engulf the world. Okay. One last thing. No, I think we just fit in Yaktan as well. But I will point out, and Rashi actually does the maths elsewhere. Peleg died when he was 248, I think. Uh, sorry, 209. No, yeah, he was 209. No, sorry, plus 30. 239. Uh, I'm looking at Yud Aleph, Yud and Tet. And if you do the maths, you find that Avraham Avinu was 48 years old at the time when Peleg died. Which means, based on the literature we just learned, Avraham Avinu was 48 years old when he, uh, at the time of Migdal Baba. How old was Avraham Avinu when he discovered God, when he worked out there was one God in the world? So there's two versions. Fascinating discussion. Um, Rav Soloveitch has got a beautiful piece on this. Um, There's two sources in the Gemara, um, whether he was 48 or whether he was three. And what's the significance of 48? Where did 48 come from? So it's actually um, Menachem Leibtag who makes the connection and says he was 48 at the time of Migdar Baba. So maybe what the Gemara is saying is Avraham discovered God as a reaction to the disaster of Migdar Babel. That's when Abraham realised there had to be a different way. And by the way, since I've mentioned it, so the Rav, Rav Soloveitchik says, uh, the three is discovering God as a child, and like an emotional level. 48 is discovering God as an adult, mature philosopher. And the reason the Gemara gives two suggestions is because you need both. You need to connect to A Baruch like a three-year-old, and you also need to get it to Godish Baruch Hu, like a 48-year-old, like both a child and a mature thinker at the same time. Anyway, let's finish off this Rashi. Yoktan. He was called, his second son was called Yaktan. Shahaya anav. He was humble. Umaktin atzmo. And he made himself small. Lakach zakhar lahamid kol ha And therefore he merited to raise up all these families. Because, as I told you, in Kafa, Kavzan, Kavget, Kaftet, there's all the children of Yaktan, and it ends Kaftet by saying, Kol Ela Bennet Yakhtan," as if to emphasize, "Wow, Yaktan had lots of children." So Rashi wants to say that Yaktan had lots of children because he deserved them because he was an Anav. And that means that when Ava named his second son Yaktan, he also had some sort of prophetic uh, intent that so he was also saying that, look at my second sign, he's going to be a person who is katan, who's maktin atzmo, who makes himself small. He's going to represent the middah of humility, which is very good. And uh, that was also in um, Eva's intent. And that's why the Pasuk in Kafé says the name of one of them was Peleg. And then you'd expect the name of the, next word, was yaktan. The name of the, What? Second, either the name of the second or the name of the other. You find diff- you have find that version. What you don't find is the name of his brother was Yaktan. Why is it the same name of his brother? Because both of them were named for the future... Even though it doesn't say explicitly that Yaktan was named for the future, but Rashi's explained that he was. And one last thing, and I'm sorry to, I think we've just got time to say, also in relation to your question about what's the significance of the name of the first one, Peleg. So um, some want to say that there's no connection between the Peleg and the I Others want to say there is, because what was the sin of those building Migdal Bavel? So we're going to talk about this next week. Rashi gives three answers. Um, but basically, it was pride, it was gyver, it was. Pride. Superiority. So why is what's Yaktan? Yaktan is the reverse. So Peleg has got the name to warn about the Dor Hapalagah which is coming, and Yaktan has got the antidote to the generation of a dispersal because he is maktin et Admor. We'll stop there. Thank you very much. Yeah.